Hey y'all, Allison here. I wanted to quickly thank you for listening to our podcast. I know you're about to get a lot of valuable information from it, but I also wanted to hop in and share with you guys a free SOP, which stands for Standard Operating Procedure. We use this SOP every single day in our agency to authentically grow and engage our audiences on social. It is 1000% free and I'd love for you to have it and use it in your biz as well. So just go to umaimarketing.com slash engage to go download. All right, cheers. Welcome to the Umai Social Circle where we talk consumer goods marketing tips to help business owners and marketers alike grow. I'm Karen, co-founder of Umai. And I'm Allison, the other co-founder of Umai. And we're being joined by Daniel Nicholson, CEO of our favorite dairy-free ice cream, <laughs> not a meal. Thank you. Thank, thanks so much for having me. Thanks for being here. Well, I'd love to start out with how on earth did you get started with this killer vegan ice cream brand? Yeah, which is uh, it's 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 a great story and it's a it's a long story too. But I'll definitely try to try my best to condense it down uh, for for those of um, for those of the listeners that don't know our brand. And we've been around for fifteen years. Uh, we were the very first coconut milk based ice cream product to market um, back in two thousand five. Just something just celebrated our fifteenth year anniversary in May. Um, and, and, and really, so, so, so I was not the founder. I got involved in the business in 2008 when the founder was about three years into it. Uh, for some brief background on me, I studied mechanical engineering um, at the University of Texas. My first job out of school was in renewable energy. Uh, worked for a big wind power utility out in Spain. Um, so, you know, working on another side of the sustainability, uh, you know, problem solutions or solutions to the sustainability problem. Um, but when I moved back to, when I moved back to Austin after that stint in Madrid, um, was introduced to the founder of Nadamu through a close family friend. And I'll never forget the first time I tried the product. Uh, maple pecan was the very first flavor that I ever tried. And the second I put it in my mouth, I was just like, wow, <laughs> this is, this product is incredible. Uh, tastes just like ice cream with much lower calories, much lower sugar, zero cholesterol. Um, as, as you all can imagine, this predated the dairy free movement. This predated the plant-based movement. So I kind of saw it from kind of a, uh, from, from a much higher level, just like a better for you ice cream product, right? It's lower calories, lower sugar, as I, as I said. And uh, the, the founder at the time was, was, looking for, was looking for help. I mean, it was already three years into the business, um, created an incredible product, uh, which, which a lot of founders in the CPG space do, um, but, but really needed some help on the operation side and you know, with a lot of the numbers a lot of the day-to-day accounting and um I, I i just i love the product so much and and thought that Nadamu, the brand for for one too i i love the brand name Nadamu. i i mean i grew up in south texas uh from a, a family who speaks both spanish and english and so for me Nadamu just kind of spoke to me and resonated with me on on that deeper level too um 
And so, yeah, just in speaking with her around what she needed help with, how I could potentially, how I could potentially help, um, it ended up landing me, landing me a job in the CPG industry. I, I started off as the, uh, I, I, I mean, I hate even saying they, they gave me the beautiful title of controller, um, but I had no formal experience in accounting. I, I took an introductory course in undergrad, uh, but, but really was flung into keeping the books for the company in 2008. Um, my, my family made a small investment in the company that year, and I was kind of off and running in, uh, in my new CPG journey, which now I, I, I think I just celebrated 12 years. 12 years in CPG, which is a third of my life. I, I continue to just be blown away by the fact that a, a third of my life has been spent uh, spent in an industry that I knew nothing about when I got started. Um, but it's it's been incredibly uh, incredibly rewarding, and it's been a, it's been a great ride so far. Awesome! Wow! Yeah. So <laughs> you're saying that you went to school to be a mechanical engineer. That's a lot of schooling. And are you saying you had one taste of Natamu and you, you just switched? Don't, don't wow. switch. You know, I, I, I mean, I guess to expand upon that, what, what I did, uh, what I did learn after my stint at this very large uh, renewable energy company in Spain was that I didn't want to work for a big company. I, I just did not feel like my day-to-day -day work contributed to some really bigger impact and bigger mission that the company was obviously trying to achieve. And so, so I knew I didn't like that. I also didn't like just sitting at a computer working on spreadsheets all day, every day. I, I'm, I'm fairly good with numbers. Um, but it's just not dynamic enough for, you know, for, for, for what I wanted to do. And so some of my initial thoughts were like, I don't think engineering is like the career path for me. Um, and straight out of school, you know, it's like, well, now that I've had that moment, it's kind of too late now. Yeah, too late. Wow. Yeah, and, and so as I moved back to Austin, it was, I, I was interviewing for some positions that I really didn't want. Uh, just because my degree kind of lent themselves well to it. And, and really am glad that I met the founder when I did um, because because it was an opportunity that got me just excited enough to be like, wow, this would be exciting and interesting and I can get on the ground floor of this potentially massive opportunity and see see whether or not I can really add value. I mean, look oh. what happened. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what? 12, 12 years later, it's, uh, <laughs> yeah. it's kind of crazy to think about. So what kind of, um, what have you applied from that background? Has that been helpful in the CPG space? I, I think so. Like I, I mean, the fact that I chose engineering, um, I, I like to think that I thought about it uh, at, at least, at least a little bit. Um, I, I think really, for one, I think engineering is probably one of the more difficult undergraduate degree, one of the more difficult undergraduate degrees to obtain. Like we work really hard. We, we make jokes. Uh, we make jokes about the business, the business school students uh, within the engineering school just saying like, man, these guys just get to party all the time. Like we, we, we don't get to party as much. There was a lot of studying involved. Um, there was just a, a lot of really difficult concepts to wrap our 
to wrap our minds around. But I think what what the value that it has really added to my life and, and where what I've decided to do is just general problem solving. Like when, when, a, when you are presented with a problem, you need to kind of go through a systematic process of, okay, how, how do I solve this and how do I create the best possible solution um, for the problem that has been put in front of me? So yeah, it's, it's been, it's been uh, reduced to just a very strong analytical background, problem solving background that I think uh, really is important for, for any entrepreneur to begin to, uh, to begin to optimize their, their problem solving process. I love how that's a true testament to, you know, you do not have to go to school to do anything you want to do outside of, you know, being a doctor or a lawyer, yeah. <laughs> things like that. Things. But yeah. it's just like, if you have a passion for something, you're going to perform so much better because you like to, yeah. you like doing what you're doing. And I think that's so powerful. Um, yeah. And I, I just remembered, you said you don't like sitting behind a desk. I would love to hear more, like how many trips, I, Spoiler, you source from Thailand, right? The coconut milk? Yes. Could you... Our coconut milk providers, yeah, yeah. Is, is based out of Thailand. Yeah, which uh, has been awesome. When So so first I'll say, I, I, I the ironic thing is I still do sit behind a desk because <laughs> it's, it's an efficient way for me to receive information and share information, you know, through email, uh, you know, through calls like this, meetings and conference calls. Um, so I do sit behind the desk quite a bit, especially now during COVID where there's, you know, little to no travel um, that, that is happening in my life right now. But um, the, the position has allowed me some really cool opportunities to travel uh, to really cool and far away places to, to conduct business, right? To, to uh, to create relationships with our suppliers, you know, meet their families, go out to their farms, uh, you know, break bread, have dinner, and and, and just really, you know, kind of sharing this, uh, sharing this life that they live in 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 their home, where we just happen to be connected um, by way of sourcing a very important raw material for our ice cream product that we sell. Um, to the grocery stores. That's awesome. Um, one of my biggest questions that I was excited to ask you is uh -oh. in a really heavily saturated market, you know, you're competing against big dairy dogs of the aisle. Like <laughs> what are some key tips that you would want to give a, to a brand that's wanting to stand out against a really strong competition? Yeah, uh, that's that's a great question. We're we've definitely picked a difficult category, right? To to try to achieve what we're trying to achieve. Um, the frozen dessert category is limited, right? Like there is limited shelf space um, in freezer sets across the country. Sometimes you know some stores have larger frozen sets, some have smaller. And it's our job to try to gain shelf space in as many of these sets as possible nationwide at some point worldwide. Um, I think it's really important to not be overwhelmed by, by the reality of the category that you're trying to break into. I think if, if you really feel strongly 
that you have some value proposition uh, to bring to the category and 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 you uh, you know you're you're really passionate about the work that you're doing. I think you I, I'm, I'm really big on staying the course I'm mostly because that's what we've done. We, we know we knew what we were up against day one. We knew we were going to be pushing up against the very strong and powerful dairy uh, dairy industry. Um, but it didn't it didn't stop our approach. I mean, we're just like, look, we're we are literally a fly a fly on the radar of these massive entities, they won't even know that we exist until we begin to get to a certain size and scale that maybe we start really, you know, they start seeing us on that radar. Um, and so I think it's, you know, don't, don't overwhelm yourself with the, with the daunting task of taking, you know, on some really massive partners. You just have to take it on a day at a time and, and, and really work at making your brand or your product significant enough um, to the point that you start, you start becoming, uh, you know, becoming a, a bigger target to others. And by the time you reach that point, um, yes, you have some even more challenging obstacles and, uh, and, and, uh, and opportunities ahead of you. But at, at that point, you've done something right. And, and then it's up to, you know, it's, it's up to you to, again, wake up each and every day and continue to execute upon the plan that you put in front of yourself. And, and I, I think that's been a big part of what we do. We don't get overwhelmed by the noise of new products launching into our space. And, you know, Hagen Dawes is coming in and Ben and Jerry's is coming in. Uh, we've We've been through this for a, for a really long time. We've seen a lot of brands come and go. We've seen a lot of brands come into the space um, and, and not really uh, not have success. And at the end of the day, all you can really focus on is, is you and, and your, your mission and your vision. And uh, yeah, that, I think that, that that's really what, we, what we've uh, stayed focused on here. And so far, so good. We'll, we'll see how... We'll see if that continues to be the the right plan and strategy. But for now, I can say it it has absolutely gotten us uh, to 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 this point, and we just want to keep pushing forward with that same mentality. Definitely, I think it's so easy for people of all sorts of different brands and goods to get bogged down with what other people are doing. And I really like that advice to just do what you know how to do best, execute the best way you can and keep delivering really great product. Yeah. That's awesome. Cool. Well, ha what have been some key pain points in the business? I mean, like, yeah, it's, it's ice cream and like online orders. And I want to hear a little bit more about yeah. those kind of pain points. Yeah. The, the, the biggest pain point for an ice cream product is just, you know, we have to keep it frozen, right? Like we have to keep the product. It, it has to be handled. Everything has to be handled in such a delicate manner. And, you know, I, I mean, shelf stable, a shelf stable product or a brand with shelf stable products does not have to think about cold chain, does not have to think about storage, does not have to think about the temperature uh, that the truck needs to be set at in order to transit your products, you know, safely so that it's not melting and refreezing. And then there's, you know, and then the, the consumer ends up having a less than stellar experience, not because you didn't make it well, but because the handlers of the product 
as you were, you know, moving the product around to different places, uh, you know, they, they were not disciplined about the way that, uh, the way that they handled it. And so I think I, I, I really do the, the part that I really enjoy most about the business is probably the part that most founders or most CPG entrepreneurs hate. Like I, I like the unsexy stuff. I, I like, I like operations. I like, you know, the finance. I like the accounting. I like all the systems and processes that are put in place um, to ensure that we, you know, we just, we have, uh, we have systems in place that, that are kind of, that are fail proof, right? Like you, you have to have a system and a process for everything. And as long as you hold to that, then you can, uh, you can create a lot of extra extra room for yourself to be creative. And, and as you scale, then it gets a lot more important to begin to focus on the sales and marketing aspects of the business. But we have always felt like until we have the back end taken care of, there's really not a lot of need for us to press forward trying to light the world on fire sales wise and marketing wise, because if the back end's not prepared to handle it, we're going to create bigger issues for ourselves than we're ready for. Um, and I think that's been a big part of, you know, may, maybe that's why it's taken us uh, you know, 15 years to kind of get to this point. We were really focused on the back end and optimizing every single, uh, every single piece of the operation to be prepared to have more fun on the, on the sales and marketing side. Hey, that's, I, it, it's proven to be a good call because I feel like that is something that I, I'll see with founders. It's just, it's all sales and marketing up front and the rest is kind of falling by the wayside. So focusing on that to make sure that you're delivering the most premium, premium, premium uh, product is makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And I think like a, a big part of the food business in CPG, like you, I mean, the health of a business is directly related to scale. Like you have to scale, you have to create those operational efficiencies in order to make any kind of money in this, in this industry. And I think it's very easy to get carried away with sales and marketing and product development. Oh, what's that we're going to, you know, bring to the market. And those things are all fun and they're exciting and, and the market wants that. They want you to do those things but they don't want you to do that if you're not ready for that, because that's going to put you in a massive predicament where you don't have kind of full control or, or full, uh, you don't have the full vision in place yet of, of how you're going to bring all this added value to the market uh, before you're really ready to, ready to handle it. And it, it, it's tough. I, I, I mean, I, um, most of the advice I give is, is rooted in what I've been through, right? Like there, there are thousands of different ways to have success here in CPG. I'm just, I'm much more operationally focused because I do believe that scale and efficiency will ultimately give you the opportunity, the opportunity to build the healthiest company possible. And I think any entrepreneur that that should be the goal. Like, you want to build something of scale, build something that is sustainable, that can stand on its own two feet so that you don't necessarily have to depend on, uh, you know, on, a, on other capital partners and on, on others to continue to drive your vision. 
And that's, that's, I think that has driven our approach um, since the day we got started. That's awesome. I know that you're talking about the flash and pizzazz of like new products and stuff, but seasonal, I eat seasonal flavors. I'm like, how is it, is it year by year? Does it change? Do you guys get excited about the same ones year over year or any, any hot tips for creating like seasonal yeah. products? Yeah, that's uh, so we, I'm not sure if you knew, we barely launched our first seasonal last year, 2019, 14 years into the business. Um, to the points you're making, it's it takes just as much work and effort to create a seasonal product that's going to be on the shelf for two months or three months that you do for a product that's going to be on the shelf for an entire year. Um, so for right now, as we you know got our dipped our toe in the water last year, launched that first seasonal product. 2020 is a year where we want to do it again. We're not even worried about creating a new. A new uh, a new seasonal product we, we'd love to but we didn't think we were ready yet we want to uh, achieve greater sales and distribution with the seasonal product this year around this time around and then we'll we're very iterative about everything we do we do something we learn from it the next year uh, we come back maybe we do exactly the same thing but we do it better because we've learned some things and then from there, once that really works successfully, then we can have even more fun on the product development side, developing new seasonal flavors um, for, for the consumer to enjoy. And so uh, for 2020, it'll be the same products. We already have a new seasonal on, on tap that we were wanting to launch um, in, in, in 2020. It just, it didn't pan out. Uh, for some of the supply chain, you know, supply chain issues that needed to be hashed out first. But we have two, we effectively have two seasonals prepared for 2021. And some of that could include a new flavor that that isn't one of the originals that we launched with. And so I think it, like pe people get so impatient, you know, to, to some of the earlier points I'm making, they get so impatient, want to do too much too soon. Um, before really understanding that there are really good lessons to learn and doing something, learning, you know, kind of taking that feedback, doing it better the next year, and then maybe starting to have more fun with it based off of all those insights that you've gained as you were kind of testing that. So question on when you do launch new products, how do you guys come up with the flavors? Do you get customer input? Do you have like a chief flavor officer that creates it and you guys just say this is good? Like how does that, how does that work? Yeah, I mean it's it's been an evolving um, evolving process for us too, but I, I think the what I like to touch on is a, a big part of the reason why we opened up a scoop shop here in Austin was to speed up that that formula that formulation process, testing new flavors, getting real-time feedback from the consumer, seeing how they, say, how they sell relative to the other products that we're selling. And so it's all, I mean, those insights, we, we opened our shop in the summer of 2018. It's only two years old, um, but, but as we wanted to continue to improve around the speed that we're able to achieve new flavors and new products, the Scoop Shop became the perfect format for us to 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 do that in before before having the scoop shop it was really just our our internal team members maybe some friends and family and we're just sending some samples around hey what do you think of you know these new flavors 
Uh, maybe we would look at some data. Maybe you know if we have our hands on on spins, on spins reports or or other data sources, we could begin to understand um, what is selling well out there in the market already that maybe we haven't tapped into. Uh, and so we're looking at competitors' products, not not only from the dairy-free category, but we look at the at the dairy ice cream category too, because we believe that our consumer is an ice cream lover. Like uh, people who eat Nanamu, they love ice cream. Some of them, you know, might not be 100% dairy-free or 100% plant-based. They dabble in both sides, and we've we've learned a lot about that. And so we gain insights from the ice cream industry at large by looking at data, looking at what is selling well. Um, and, and that's what kind of drives our, our, our innovative process. And now that coupled with the scoop shop, you know, we have access to even more data. We have access to even uh, more people who enjoy our brand and products. And so hopefully we'll continue to get better and better at launching new things that are just perfect for the market that will do really, really well sales-wise when they hit the shelves. That, that's ultimately what you're trying to achieve is um, putting things on the shelf that sell well. <laughs> like that, that, that it's, not, it's not that difficult. It, it, it is difficult, but you can always simplify, simplify any, uh, any difficult problem into a very kind of simple snippet. And yeah, I think ultimately we're, when we think of uh, product development, we're thinking about creating products that as soon as they're on shelf are going to sell them. I love that y'all are using that scoop shop as like a little testing incubator and getting yeah. feedback right from there. That's awesome. Bless that scoop shop. I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, I mean, it's been a, uh, as, as you all can imagine, I, I mean, it's been a massive undertaking for us. Um, you know, it's, it's one thing to be a, a CPG company. It's a whole other thing to also operate this like brick and mortar uh, type of operation, two very different worlds. Um, but again, for us, it's about taking a problem, creating a solution and beginning to learn from that and continue to get better and, and continue to be able to use it as as value for the the bigger operation that we're running, and and that's what the scoop shop is for us. It's it's marketing, you know. It's it's increased brand visibility in our hometown of Austin, where we were founded in 2005. Um, it's about that direct consumer experience. It's about speeding up our product development process, and and every single decision you make as a company has to bring value to the table because you're putting money, you know, you're, you're making an investment in people and, you know, in space and equipment and, and you have to make sure that you can tie any of those investments back to some form of value to the overall operation. That's what our investors, you know, that's what they expect from us. Um, and, and we have to deliver when we have a good idea, it can't just be a good idea. There has to be, there has to be some real value there. And, uh, it's, it's really motivated us to work really hard at making the scoop shop a success, um, and, and making sure that it, it creates value for, uh, for the, for the bigger company and for the bigger mission and vision. Cool. Well, going back to operations and your operations brain, 
I know a lot of the client, a lot of the CPG consumer goods brands that we work with now are only based in the U.S. So how was it when you expanded to Canada? Like what, what was that like? I mean, that's just like another world to me. And, and, and it is, it, it absolutely is. We, um, we, we have aspirations to grow everywhere. Um, but again, you can't, can't, you know, Rome wasn't built in a knife. It takes time. It takes energy. It takes beginning to understand new markets that are not America, right? Very different consumer, um, very different purchasing process for that consumer. And, uh, so we, I'll, I'll say we jumped into Canada. Uh, this is our second go round at Canada. Much earlier in the history of the company, we went into Canada thinking, oh, you know, new distribution expansion opportunity. And we got a distributor and we're gonna, you know, we're just gonna make this happen. We weren't ready for it. Like we, we didn't understand uh, how drastically different the distribution systems are and the margins that distributors work off of that are different than the U.S. I mean, I mean, all sorts of things. We opened Pandora's box um, when we thought we were ready for Canada the first time. Um, since relaunching into Canada, we definitely understand it a lot better. Uh, we're but we're starting slow. We're, we, we know that we can obtain greater distribution right now if we wanted to. We'd have to spend a significant amount of money. And sometimes those business decisions don't make financial sense. Um, so we're, we're trying to build the brand organically there right now. And, and, and we know that there are other larger retailers we could align ourselves with, but we, we have to go prove success. Um, in a more organic format first. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think the, you know, the, the, the main takeaway is it's, it is absolutely, it's absolutely a different world and you have to have a, a really serious plan in place and you have to be open to understanding that it's like starting a business all over again in, in a new market. Cool, you're making it here in America and you have all this scale, um, but launching into a new market is like building a business from scratch. And so you have to have the bandwidth and the capacity to manage you know, the, the healthier part of your business. It's a little more mature than the new projects that you've taken on. Um, at, at, at the same time that you're beginning to understand these new business ventures that you've kind of flung yourself into. And so I think that's a big part of what you have to understand at least enough to be prepared for, um, to approaching it in a, in a healthy manner. That is, uh, that's possible because if, if you go in there with unrealistic expectations, uh, the, the market will chew you up and spit you out pretty quickly. Yeah, I feel like I always like consumers have no idea how difficult it is. They're just like they're coming from all over the world and they're like, why can't you just why can't you just ship to me yeah. here? Why can't I'm just like Yeah, they're just like, easy. why is your we, we can't find your product on our shelf? Like why? I'm like, request it. <laughs> I, I I mean, I don't know. It's not like we get to pick. Mm -hmm. We don't get to pick where we get to place our product. It's it's you know, the consumer has to demand it. I I, I think you know, we see it every day. Like we, I, it's, it's very easy to begin to understand why we feel so powerless as consumers and as people. 
But at the end of the day, like we, we, what we demand is ultimately what will find its way on your shelf. And so if there are products out there that, that you want to have the opportunity to buy, then work on your store level staff, like work on the manager, work on writing emails to the corporate office. Like this isn't a, this isn't where we, we, we don't get to buy our way onto all of these shelves. Um, and, and yeah, I think the consumer needs to understand and, and the entrepreneur needs to understand that we need to inform the consumer in this manner and educate them on how this even begins to work because they always just want it, want things to magically appear in front of them at a very convenient price point. <laughs> yeah. It's not that, it's not that simple. Um, and, and, and if we want to continue to do the good work that we want to do, we have to, we have to have a relationship with our customers and we have to help them, them understand what we need them to do so that we can do what we want to do and continue to build our businesses and, and create greater impact in the, in the consumer package good space. Can you tell us how you get your consumer to do those things? Like what are some ways that other CPG brands can ask their consumer to go ask for the product? Yeah, I, I, I mean, we answer to any of them and all of them, whether they communicate with us via email, through our website, you know, we kind of have a general inquiries area on our website where if people have a question, shoot us an email, we'll, we'll read it. We will think about how to respond to it. You know, like there has to be some thoughtful communication. Um, that happens on social media too. We, if you build a social media following, those are the people that for now are, you know, the lifeblood of your organization. And if they DM you, read it, respond, have dialogue, have that conversation. It, it is tedious. It is absolutely tedious. It takes time. It takes energy. But if you're not spending your time and energy engaging with your consumer, you're losing. Like you're, you're not listening to them. You're not talking to them. And you are neglecting that connection. And, and, and those are the people who are going to be your brand champion over time. And you have to, whatever the opportunity, if it's in a demo, of course, we're not doing demos in COVID right now, but if you were, if you're doing a demo, engage with that consumer, listen to them, take feedback to heart. If you're at a large scale tasting event, same thing, like you're engaging with your customer or a potential customer, talk to them, listen to them, you know, kind of hear what they like, hear what they don't like about your product. And same thing through email channel, through social media. It's, it's really about taking the time and energy to understand how important your, your customer is and, and, and learning from them by engaging with them. And you guys really, the, the advocates of your brand are, there's so many. There's so many. I remember we'd be at like, we'd be at those conventions. We'd be like at the natural foods convention there. You guys always had a way of attracting these like big named influencers that are just singing your praises. And I think it's a true testament to how good the product is, but also yeah. how well you've built community and like the campaign you just did for the anniversary where you guys got a bunch of video, video input. Um, and like someone did like a stop motion. It was no, incredible. People spend, people spend time and, and energy on, on, you know, on doing it. And I think that's like, 
that's that's the kind of harmony that that we've always tried to create create with our customer and i tell the team all the time like you know this is you know this is still a relationship driven business like let's go let's go out into the world and like get to know these people it's not it's not transactional sure sometimes we we do you know the influencers um you know they have to make a living too and they've created this market for themselves to do that you know, yes, sometimes we, we have to pay them because that is, you know, that is a part of the transaction, but it's so much more, it's so much more to us than that. We, we want to know these people. We want to know what they like. We want to know when their birthdays are. We want to, you know, we, we want to engage with their families and, uh, you know, that as the team continues to grow and expand, if everybody is of that same mentality, I mean, you get to, you get to multiply. And, and everybody becomes, you know, a, a steward of the brand. And, and I think when people are around us and when they understand what we're talking about and how we're trying to go about this, I think it, I think it resonates. Like, it, you know, people want that sense of community and, and want to take part in that human, you know, connection process. And, and that's, that's really how we, we've approached it. It's, it's not about throwing marketing dollars around and, you know, like there, you know, there, there are some tactical things around that too, around putting your money to work in, in good ways strategically on the marketing side, but more than that, I mean, if you really want to create those, that loyal fan base, those champions of your brand, you have to desire to know them as the people that they are. And, and it's, it's way more than influencing, um, you know, we're, we're, we're all people trying to do things in the world and you have to understand people at, at that foundational level. Definitely. I, yeah, I feel like a lot of people will get stuck in influencer partnerships where they're just like sliding into their DMs right off the bat, asking them, asking them for things. It's like, you got to slow down. You got to build the relationship first. Yeah. And I think you guys do such a beautiful job of that. Um, well, if you had three pieces of advice or a couple pieces of advice for a new CPG owner navigating this space, what would, what would you share with them? Be, be passionate for sure. Be, make sure, make sure that you are getting into this, um, for, for all the right reasons. If, if, if money, you know, if, if money is a motivator, fine that, that that's okay but it, it won't be enough uh it, it won't be enough to sustain uh lasting success in this industry it, it just won't so yeah be be passionate um second i'd say to some of my earlier points stay the course stay the course on you know why you did it why that product uh what value are you bringing to the category because staying that course is going to be the thing that naturally continues to differentiate you from everybody else if, if, if you get bogged down with all the noise you're going to start trying to copy and you know follow what others are doing and now you're off track now you have no path like now you're following someone else's um, so be very methodical about like what what that path is how you're going to stay on it, how you're going to stay focused on it. So yeah, stay the course. And I guess the third, um, the third would just, the word grit, the, the word, you know, the word grit comes to mind, be tenacious, be persistent, 
um, definitely have that virtue of grit um, to, to, to lean on when things get really, really difficult. Uh, this is a very hard business. I, 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 like to, I like to tell CPG entrepreneurs all the time. I can tell they're just getting started. I can tell what I'm about to tell them is going to overwhelm them or make them have second thoughts around what it is they're doing or why they're doing it. But if, if you do not, if you cannot grasp the reality of how difficult this business is and how, and even more so how difficult it will be uh, to be successful, successful at it, um, yeah, I mean, I, I want to tell them as early as possible. It's, it, it is tough. You have to be, you know, tenacity, grit, um, all the, all the toughness words, like just you, you're going to have to, you're going to have to be persistent in, in the pursuit of, of, of your, of your passion and, and your dreams. I think those are, those are the three super, super general, but I, I, I think really like that's what it, that's what it comes back to all, all, all the other work all the other strategy and planning, those things are things that you have to do um, to even set yourself up for that opportunity. But, but when the hard times really, really come, um, it's, all, it, it's all about going back to the basics and, and being, very, uh, being very introspective around um, how you started on, on the journey to begin with. Yeah, I think that's good for all sorts of company owners. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, yeah. yeah, it's probably not just it's not just CPG. It's mm -hmm. it's very very general. But I think these are things we hear all the time growing up, right? Like you you've heard these little one-offs. People are you know throwing a little a little hint of wisdom of, of wisdom at you, and and you're just you're not ready to hear it for for what it is. And it's not until you. Uh, you hit some of those roadblocks and then begin to experience those obstacles that you're like, oh, okay, like that, that made sense. I just, I wasn't ready to really listen to that for how powerful it was. Um, and so I, I always go back to the most simple thoughts, the most simple, uh, I, I think there, there's power in, in simplicity and, and we need to continue to to engage in those thoughts to get uh, better and better results out of ourselves. Definitely. I think it's so important to not overcomplicate things, which I mean, I tend to do a lot, you know, it's, so it's, it's super, it's super easy to do in, in, in a, in a business that is so complex. Like this is really what to the points you were making earlier about the consumer, not consumer, not understanding how hard it is that we're doing. And it's not our job to really let them know how hard it is. We, we need to make it as easy and seamless for them as possible. But if we did wanna start getting them to understand what it was, I mean, we are literally importing products like raw materials from all over the world. We're getting them all to a certain place at a certain time so that they can be on a truck to get to our co-packing facility so that we can make finished good product so that it can be on the shelf without ever having any out of stocks over and over again for every, like every single day of every year, we do not break, you know, we, yes, we, we take some vacations here and there, but the consumer never stops eating. So we have to continue to make our product all the time. And as you scale, the problem's bigger and the coordinating is bigger and the communication of every single thing has to be so buttoned up and tight um, because if not, 
the consumer sees no product on the shelf and they think you're a failure. <laughs> and, right. you, and you kind of are, like you're failing <laughs> them. You're, you're failing them because it's up to us to solve through all of the many challenges that we face to get our product on the shelf. And, and you, have to be, you have to be up to that task. And, and the consumer deserves to have that opportunity to very, in a very frictionless manner, purchase the product that they've already chosen they want to support. And so it's, it's super, like we, we lean on each other so much and uh, we just, we have, we have a lot of work to do in order to continue to deliver on that and, and build a sustainable business. Definitely. I, I, I think this, uh, I think this CBD coffee I'm drinking is, uh, <laughs> I, I think it has me, I think it has me pretty chatty, so. No, it's introspective. It's I love that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, and especially when you were, I think this is completely where your like fulfillment operations brain comes so in handy because this, I, time and time again, I just get my mind boggled by the operations teams at consumer goods brands because they're always the first there. They're always the last to leave. They're grinding because it is so hard. It's so much easier said than done when you go to the grocery store and you pick a product off the shelf and you're like, oh, this is great. This was easy to get here. It's yeah, just so it's like, complicated. It's such a delight being a consumer. That I was yes. laughing when you were saying that you had to tell people how hard it is because, you know, they're just getting into the CBG space. They're probably used to being a consumer and just being delighted all the time. Yeah. And it's basically like telling them Santa Claus isn't real. <laughs> it's just going to be a grind. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, but is it? Yeah, it's 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 big. And, and then as I've you know as I've gotten more and more comfortable in, in my role as the leader of the company, as you know, I touched on, I started doing accounting. Like I, that's literally where I started. Um, now I'm running a company. I'm running a team of 22 individuals and four different departments. Where as we're touching on, you know, sales and marketing is one thing. And ops and accounting and CPG is a totally different world. But, you know, one of the major challenges is getting everybody to see each other's perspective. And, you know, can we put ourselves in that other person's shoes? Can we even begin to understand what it is that they're doing every day? And, and, and only then can we, can we work in harmony and, and really understand how we can help each other be better at our jobs because everybody has a different piece of information. We have to share it. Uh, we have to share it in an efficient and effective manner as often as possible or people are lost or people, you know, begin to fail to see the bigger picture that they operate within and, and why, why all of our team members are counting on each and every one of our other team members to show up to work every day and, and just put their best work forward possible every day, every single day. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I think, I think, I think our team members still think, man, like he's so intense. Does he ever rest? And it's like, I, when I rest, I rest. Like it, it's such an important part, but when I'm, when I'm on and when I'm working, I'm, I'm intense about it because there's a lot of moving parts and I want to make sure that everybody at this organization is set up for success. I, I, I don't want anybody to uh, you know, to feel like they, they're, they're being left out or they're not, you know, they're not a part of the whole. Because then if, if that begins to happen, then it goes right back to what I felt like when I worked at this renewable energy company. 
right? Like I, I was doing some job function, but nobody was really helping me see the bigger picture. And I feel like when we are more engaged in that bigger picture, we're going to, we're going to do much better work because we understand why our, our job every day is so important and, and from top to bottom. Right. And I, I would argue we run a pretty flat organization, but you have to create some structure and hierarchy to an organization. And I, you know, whether you are the, you know, the C-suite executive level person or, or the entry level position, like, I don't care. Like I, I, I want everybody to know how important their work is and, and how it contributes to us being able to provide a product uh, to our customer when they want it. Like, you know, and that's, it's, uh, it takes, it takes, takes a lot of work and takes a lot of creating harmony between, between a lot of different people to, uh, to, to make it all work. And that's the passion and grit, right? Those are your, you gotta, you gotta have it and you have it. And I think that's incredible. And then teamwork, of course, it's like teamwork makes the dream work. It's so true. It is. It's, it's important. Team. I, I mean, I, uh, yes, yeah, so, so big on team. I, I, I could care less in most days. I probably, ne- I probably neglect myself more, more than anything. Um, and, but, but that's fine. Like I, I'm, I'm okay with that. That, that is the, that's the, the position that I've chosen. That's the path that I've chosen. And I really care more about, I care more about our team at this point than, than, than anything, uh, than, than anything that I could ever do for myself. It's, it becomes, uh, becomes a very, uh, becomes a very selfless, uh, selfless role, like leadership. If done right, I, I do believe if done right, leadership is selfless and it's, it's, it's not about me. It's about the work that our team is doing, um, day, day in and day out, year in and year out. That is allowing us to compete at new levels. Hey, you're bringing, you're bringing the dairy free heat or the opposite of heat. <laughs> yeah. We're, yeah we're, <laughs> that dairy free frozen stuff. Freeze. <laughs> <laughs> that dairy free, the dairy free freeze. Can, can we go through your favorite flavor and has it changed throughout the, the years? So man, that's such a hard question. <laughs> Um, so, you know, the, my favorite flavor is maple pecan by far has never changed. It was the first flavor that I ever tried. 12 years strong. It's the reason, it's the reason I'm here today. And so there's a lot more past flavor. There's sentimental value in, uh, in, in maple pecan. Sad news coming soon about maple pecan, but sometimes you have to make business decisions too, right? Like I, I, if I could impart some additional uh, some additional lessons on entrepreneurs. Like, yeah, sometimes, you know, like sentimental value is great and real, but if the data is showing that you could be making something else that is going to sell better and is going to do better for your customers, better for your retail partners, you have to do it. Um, but yeah, I, I will probably keep a very private stash of that product. We'll probably <laughs> make one last run and I'll keep it in my own personal. Oh. You could do seasonal <laughs> Daniel's Daniel's flavor. <laughs> yeah. Just completely rebrand and yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, it's maple pecan. 
Um, but yeah, ma Maple's my favorite. Um, I, it, it'll never change, even even if we never make it again. Um, but at the end of the day, when I try all our different flavors, I, I don't eat ice cream all the time, <laughs> as it is work. But when I do eat our products, I'll, I'll, I'll take a random flavor that I haven't had in a while. I'll take it off the shelf. I'll scoop myself some scoops. And I'm just like, I'm, I'm constantly amazed at how incredible our, our flavors are. Like, it, it's just, it, it, blow, it blows my mind. And so maple pecan, but they are all our children. <laughs> all the same. Uh, and and, and I, I think I think ice cream is just it's so consumer driven. Everybody has their all time favorite ice cream flavor. Mine is maple pecan because pecan praline, um, kind of the 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 butter pecan stuff was kind of in my wheelhouse as I grew up, and so maple pecan kind of has filled that void for me as I've begun to uh, kind of shed my life of dairy intake. Awesome. Great flavor. <laughs> yeah. What What about you all? Do you Do y'all have I'm, a do you I'm have mint a chocolate favorite? chip, and that mint was also chip. the first one I tasted too. So. Awesome. It's maybe there's a thing with that. The first one you taste just. The, the first one you taste just <laughs> just holds you. Just sticks with you. Yeah. Yeah. The Rocky Road. Forgive me for forgetting the clever name you guys came up with. That is. Yeah. That we, is my we, we We did things in a very not a style there it's like it's rocky road we're not gonna reinvent the wheel but we called it the rockiest oh, road the rockiest very, you know, road very, I love the that. rockiest road and 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 for of course it's 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 a play on words like we we really feel like as we've built this brand we've chosen the rockiest road path and uh and so that's that's kind of why we decided to to spin, uh, to, to play with a very traditional Rocky Road flavor name. And yeah, I mean, ours is, ours is rockier because we've, uh, we've done it the, the long and the hard way. And it's rocking. <laughs> <laughs> well, Daniel, it was so nice to have you on. Thank you so much for sh sharing some wisdom from start to finish on your journey and what people can take from this to, you know, do better and be better and create a better product. Awesome. No, I, I thank you all for, for creating the opportunity for me to, to, to share. Thank you all so much. Thanks. Um, and then one last thing, if you'd like to leave our, leave the audience with a link or a call to action or um, a, a reminder of the seasonal product, here's your chance. Yeah. I think my, yeah, my big uh, lead behind is just, it's really eat more plants, eat more plants, eat more, eat more Nautamu. It, it's all plant-based um, and, and really, you know, we, we, if, if you haven't tried our product before, we really, we welcome you to try it for the first time. If, if you love ice cream and you've never had Nautamu before, whether you're dairy-free or not, I, I mean, it, it, it is a great ice cream product. Um, that you can consume and enjoy with minimal damage to your own personal health and 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 even more than that to the planet that, that we all want to sustain life on um, and so yeah it's we 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 appreciate those who have already supported us um, and we look forward to those of you who will give our product the first try here in the near future 
Umay Social Circle is a CPG agency-driven podcast based out of Austin, Texas. We're excited to share more behind-the-scenes insights, chats with industry leaders, and whatever else we learn along the way. Follow us on Instagram at Umay Marketing or check out our website, umaymarketing.com. Catch you back here soon.